Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm not going to play around with you. I'm going to get into this conversation that I've been wanting to have for a while. My guest today is Emily Gorsinski. Emily, could you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Absolutely. Hi, y'all. I'm Emily Gorsansky. I am a data scientist and technologist by uh, profession, I suppose, and an activist by passion and necessity. Um, I work on a project called First Vigil. It is a project tracking white supremacist and far-right and neo-Nazi extremist crime in the United States with the intention of uh, identifying patterns in how prosecutions uh, proceed and evolve in trying to shine some light on white nationalist organizing, uh, sort of in the modern era. On top of that, I am originally from, uh, I suppose not originally from, but I have spent the past 10 years in Charlottesville, Virginia, until I moved to Berlin, Germany last year. Um, and of course, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia might ring some bells because of all of the badness that has happened there. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess that's me in a nutshell. All right. So I always start with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Well, I think causing a scene is important because if anything were to change through politeness, it would have already changed. We are not in a position that we are in in this world because we don't know what the right thing to do is or because we're trying to sort of find a nice gentle path to the right thing. We're in this position because. Um, People with power leverage power to extract wealth. And one of the ways that we can push back against that uh, exploitation is by causing a scene and making it uncomfortable for people um, to be complacent in how they go through their day-to-day lives, Um, denying in a way uh, the comfort of privilege and of authority. And as far as how I'm doing that, um, I think that there's a lot of ways that I do that. I think the biggest thing that I do um, hasn't pertained to Charlottesville. It hasn't pertained to any of my roles in doing direct action, although that is um, definitely something that is a part of my praxis. Um, But causing a scene for me is existing, um, being opinionated, and uh, claiming my space. I'm a transgender woman, Um, I am mixed race, Um, I have a unique experience in going through the world and unique uh, forms of marginalization, Um, and now I'm living as as a privileged but uh, immigrant, but still an immigrant in a country where I don't speak the language, or at least not very well. And, you know, that's a, a challenging way to exist for a lot of people. It goes against people's expectations and their stereotypes. And for me to, uh, claim what is rightfully mine, to claim the space that uh, I belong in, and to claim the expertise that I have developed is a radical action. So that's how I try to make a, or cause a scene every day. So um, let me give you some backstory. So I met, Emily came up in my feed. Mm, hashtag, cause a, hashtag cause a scene started 
in March of 2018. And she came up in my feed often. Um, and I, you know, follow her, unfollow her, follow her, unfollow her, because I was still trying to figure out what hashtag cause the scene was going to be about. Um, I was still like, I'm just, I'm just, I just know I need to be disruptive. I know I need to be louder, but I had no clue what that meant. Um, I spoke at um, JSConf EU last year, and that was the first, um, that was the second, going to be the second hashtag cause the scene conference um, that I had done. Again, an experiment, something that Jan and I, I talked to Jan about, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. A week before I was supposed to come up, we threw something together. So we spent the whole, um, my whole, most of, a lot of my time um, there trying to get speakers, trying to get attendees. Um, and um, Emily signed up for speaking. And just so, just so happened that the, the day after this conference, they have a breakfast um, event. And Emily sat at the table with me. And that was our first time actually having a conversation. Again, you have to understand the perspective I was in. I was still trying to figure out what hashtag causing meant to me. I had no real strategy at that point. I was just, again, just moving, trying to, you know, I'm, an ex I'm a researcher, I'm an experimenter, trying to figure some things out. And so Emily, with um, other individuals, um, spoke at the conference. And that was one that we did not record. Um, and the story she told along with other individuals was help, started helping me solidify. Hmm. What, Cause at the time I was saying hashtag causing was for underrepresented and marginalized. And I can say after that conference, it became focusing on the marginalized. <laughs> um, and I'm going to stop here and give, because I always like to give definitions. So I'm going to give you the definitions that I always start every talk with. Privilege is about access. So who has access to something? Who has the ability to, um, to leverage that access if they want to or not? That's what privilege is. Underrepresented, underrepresented is simply about numbers. It's about, I have three red Skittles. I have 10 um, green Skittles. I have more green Skittles. <laughs> That's what underrepresented is. So the red Skittles are underrepresented in that, in that scenario. Marginalized. And it's also about, I also like to make this clear because underrepresented is also about, it can be about the individual. Marginalization is another, is a different thing. It's about how specifically communities or how um, people are treated. It's about um, male mistreatment. So, and it, it really speaks to groups of people. So this is where I, 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 I use my analogy that although white women are underrepresented in tech, very few of them are also marginalized unless they're in a, they belong to a group that has been, uh, that has been identified as being mistreated under, um, and, 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 all kinds of stuff. We, we know the stories um, in tech. So white women are not diversity. <laughs> so then I get, I can say what diversity is. Diversity is simply about variety. And I use this as an example. If I have a crayon box of four crayons, I am not creative enough to make something that's going to look cute at all. It's just going to be four colors just doing something. But if I have 64, that 64 box of Crayola crayons, I can really do something. The picture may be ugly as fuck, 
But what it is going to be, it's going to be colorful. I get to mix colors together to make new colors. It's going to be a whole, it's going to just be colorful. And that's what diversity is. It's about creating something together that we could not create our, on our own. And inclusion is simple, simply about the experience. And, as, and I am the only person can, who can tell you if my experience has been inclusive. I don't care what your efforts are. I don't care what you think you know. You cannot tell me your, that your, um, your work environment, your event, your conference, your whatever is inclusive. I, as the person who experiences these things, can tell you if I've had an inclusive experience. And I'd say all that because, again, you know, I'm an educator. I like to make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, but after that talk, I, at that talk, we had someone who was um, sexually harassed speaking. We had um, um, uh, a non, non-binary individual. We had um, Emily there was there for as a transgender woman. We had, mm, I can't remember, but um, everybody who spoke was speaking from a, a place of marginalization. And there was a, a sense of fear that was coming across in every talk, just by, as Emily said, just existing. Um, when your existence comes into question, that's, that, that, that's a, there's really nothing, everything else you say is kind of moot to me. There's no other thing we can talk about if my very existence is being questioned. And I can say that um, ha- having these conferences have en- enabled me to not only sh- provide us, I'm hoping a safe platform for marginalized individuals in tech to uh, to share their stories, but also to really, really connect the audience to their stories because these are not theories. A lot of people want to talk about, I had a conversation today with somebody on Twitter and they were talking about centralist, being centralist and everything's you know weighted evenly. That's bullshit. You cannot, the person who feels like they're a victim and the person who is a victim do not get the same treatment. That does not make any sense. It would never work in any hospital, any emergency room. I sprained my ankle, but the person with the bullet wound has to wait for me because I was here first and I have health insurance. That's not how this shit works. So I'm saying all that to say, because I don't know where this conversation is going, but I, 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 um, wanted to acknowledge Emily's role and others like um, others who've spoken at my conferences to help me frame what hashtag cause the scene was going to be about and um, what we're, where we're going moving forward. So my question to you is there's so many things you do. Um, and I love how you manipulate that fucking data. It's like, you, how did, I guess that's my first question. How how did you, as a data scientist, get on a project that focuses on white supremacy? Yeah, I guess, so that's, um, I guess that kind of comes into, you know, being, being a survivor of what happened in Charlottesville and, uh, being part of an ongoing community there. Um, you know, the story about all that is uh, kind of uh, a detailed one, but I guess the short version of it is, um, you know, when the rally was announced, it was something that I knew that um, I had already established a, a pretty decent social media following um, through some other industry types of activism that I did. Um, so I had, you know, my verified check mark, and I had, you know, north of, of 10,000 followers at that point, um, which 
you know, makes you a little bit of a lightning rod for uh, controversy on Twitter, and um, but it also means that you have influence and you have reach. And I had been watching for the past couple of years how these, you know, white nationalists, these neo-Nazi groups had been using the power of social media to twist and manipulate their hate and their bigotry to gain followers and to gain support, um, and troublingly, in the mainstream. Um, but more off, more so, I, I saw how they used that support to weaponize social media against people who would speak out against them. And I knew that, you know, being in Charlottesville and having this, you know, hate rally, and, and not just one hate rally, but actually a series of hate rallies um, <clears throat> depend, des, descend on our city, I knew that the best thing that I could do to fight back would be to um, use my learnings and my and my platform to sort of oppose that directly. So that was sort of the, the mission that I had. And what that caused was um, it put me on their radar and I sort of deliberately took some, you know, extreme positions and extreme takes to provoke them and to prod them into focusing on, on me to some extent um, in the social media space so that um, the rest of the activists who I knew were doing the real hard organizing and, and the real nitty gritty stuff um, in terms of just uh, dealing with community conflicts and uh, things like that so they could operate in uh, relative tranquility. So for an example, um, that we had this, we have this group in Charlottesville called Congregate. It's a radical clergy collective. Um, and they're full of um, pastors and, and church folks and um, rabbis and, and people of all faiths and all walks of life um, who organize and who embrace um, the radical teachings of religion, um, that peace is a radical action and that it is not something that we hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but it is something that requires us to sacrifice and to take a stand. Um, and they sort of embraced that message and they did a lot of organizing. Um, but some of what they did, some of their organizing went uh, against what some other groups um, who are also organizing wanted to see. And so there's a lot of intercommunity conflict and um, how to handle the Nazis. And that was a lot of, you know, stress and, and um, uh, uh, debate in terms of what was the right way to, um, to frame this. You know, certainly like the Downtown Business Council in Charlottesville felt one way and Congregate felt another way and, and Surge, the standing, showing up for racial justice organization, they felt a different way. Um, so I kind of took it on my role to engage with the media. Um, I used my following to um, get in with journalists and, and things like that and to uh, sort of shine a spotlight on myself so that the, the the targeting wouldn't go to the other people doing what I consider to be the real work. Um, as a result of that, um, the harassment, the online harassment was one thing, but it also made me a target physically of, of the neo-Nazis. Um, sort of the evidence that has come out in the in the two years since um, has made it clear that they knew who I was, that they were targeting me specifically. Um, on you know the night of the torture rally, I was one of the people there that they surrounded, and and um, they came and they attacked me. And um, there have been a number of incidents since then, and so uh, that sort of uh, precipitated my decision to leave Charlottesville for my own safety uh, because I wasn't going to do the movement any good dead. Um, and I wanted to keep contributing. So how do I keep contributing while I'm several thousand miles away 
in another country? How do I keep contributing to what's happening in my, in my hometown? Um, and the answer is to use my skills as a technologist. And so what I do know is how to do data and how to, um, you know, use the internet and the cloud and to, um, to develop technology rapidly and to move things into, um, from concept to prototype in a, in a short period of time. That's my specialty. So in all of this, you know, in sort of the, the long-running aftermath of Unite the Right, um, there were a number of court cases. Um, there was the, the case of Jacob Goodwin and, and Dan Borden and Alex Ramos um, and uh, Tyler Davis. They, these are four men who uh, were captured on, on video and photo beating DeAndre Harris, a young local black man, uh, beating him nearly to death in the, in the floor of a parking garage. And so those trials were going on, and uh, there were a number of other cases going on all around the country. And then um, the federal government, uh, the the U.S. Attorney's Office, announced that they were arresting um, a number of members from this uh, California-based white nationalist group in response to the violence. And then there was a case in Nebraska where somebody who had marched in Charlottesville was accused of domestic terrorism and sentenced to 14 years in prison. Um, and there were so, so there are these cases all around the country, and all of them had this link to Charlottesville. Um, you know, these these guys that came here or came there and and did violence and then got away with it. They left, and and what did they do after they left? They went and did more violence. They did more terrorism, um, and so you know they eventually got arrested. And I wanted to keep track of all the court dates, um, partly for my own. Um, personal uh, interests, but also to help support my community of knowing, okay, who's going to be, you know, on what dates do we need to get people to go show up at the courthouse? Um, how do we do the messaging around this? What hearing is this? You know, do we, you know, are the defendants going to be there? Do the victims need to be there? And so these are the types of questions that if you're a community organizer, you need to be able to know the answers to. Um, because, it, you know, community organizing isn't just about showing up in the streets and protesting and and yelling at, at Nazis and, and cops and, and throwing punches or whatever. It's about showing up um, so that the, the, the witnesses um, have a safe place to come to after they're you know, released from their subpoenas um, so that they have somebody there with a, a, a hot mug of tea on a cold day while they're waiting outside the courthouse. Those things are important um, and those things are super relevant. And I wanted to scale that um, because I knew that what was happening in Charlottesville was happening with the community in Gainesville, Florida, where three of um, Richard Spencer's uh, Nazi followers um, allegedly, um, well, not allegedly anymore, uh, because two of them have pled guilty, uh, they fired a gun at a counter-protester and, and uh, were charged with attempted murder. Um, we knew that you know, the, the victims of James Field's attack in Charlottesville was going on. And we knew that um, there were rallies in Portland and Berkeley um, that we had victims and witnesses to support. Um, and so really this, it became clear that the media was treating all of these events as sort of independent and unconnected. And we know that that's not true. Um, but we also didn't have a really good resource of saying, you know, knowing when to get the people out to support. And so really it, it became a tool of trying to help organizers know when things were happening and trying to help journalists tell the story of how things are going down. 
and what is happening. And so that's what, you know, it started as an Excel spreadsheet um, that I shared with a couple other community organizers just so we could keep track of what hearings were happening. And then it became an entire website. And now I'm tracking over at least 300 cases. Um, there are over 300 individuals um, in, in the database. There's over 1,400 criminal charges. Um, about 900 of those are still pending. Um, and the, the cases here represent um, dozens of murders and attempted murders. They represent multiple acts of terrorism, multiple mass shootings, um, multiple cases of assault multiple cases of, of sexual violence and domestic violence. Um, and then even some things as, as um, sort of petty as, as minor vandalism charges. Um, and so the whole project, which started as a resource for journalists and community organizers, has morphed into um, sort of a, a, a running database of white supremacist um, crime and violence in, in the United States. And with all of these cases, it, what's noteworthy about it is I only track cases um, where the events date back to 2016 um, because the goal, the focus is on open court cases. Um, it's not meant to be a comprehensive database. Um, and so of these 1,400 court cases um, that are being tracked, all of them have happened in the past three years. I'm sorry, 300 court cases, 1,400 charges. All of them have happened in the past three years. Okay, so... I was taking notes, and this is why I love my show, because I just get to freely do, I make the rules for a change. A Black woman gets to make the fucking rules. That feels great. So there are some things that you said that just really resonated with me. And um, first of all, you the fact that you um, intentionally made yourself a target um, to deflect attention from the people who you say were, act, were doing the real work on the ground is something that I talk about in this community all the time and hashtag causes in community all the time. And this is why I could give a shit about the word ally, because if you're not willing to make yourself uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable or the people doing this work are, can be comfortable, then you're, you're, you're absolutely of no service to me. <laughs> um, you're not using your privilege in a way that's impactful and meaningful to me. Um, and that's why, again, inclusion is about my experience. You don't get to say, well, I did that thing when I'm telling you that the thing you did was of absolutely no use to me. It does not mean anything. The um, next thing was, and I talk about this all the time, is I love how you created the, the database because you wanted to show the system. We keep, continue to think of these things in silos. And then it's easy to write off um, this one thing here, that one thing there. And we see it in our organizations. Um, this, this one person or this one behavior, it's just it's an isolated thing. Instead of taking the, we, we get so lost in the trees that if we step back and look at the forest, the fucking forest is on fire. I could care less about the tree, that one tree, saving that one tree. We need to save the, the forest. And the fact that you've been able to connect or, or even had the intention and, and, and the interest to connect, to see that this, these things aren't isolated and that by not only connecting it, but it tells a story. This is why uh, if, you, if, if, if you're listening, if you see my threads that I, I, 
I share the same articles over and over and over again based on whatever I'm talking about. If it's sexual harassment, if it's about racism, is about um, transgender issues, is about anything. I share the same things over and over again because I it's usually based because whatever has been tweeted is something that does not look at the whole. And I want to draw people's attention to the whole. We cannot, we have to stop looking at these things in isolation because they're a part of a system of white supremacy. So I don't care who's the president. I don't care who runs this company. I don't care who runs this nonprofit. I don't care who um, is the police chief. It is all a part of a system of white supremacy. And until we deal with the system, nothing changes. And then the last thing that really got me is I'm so sick of people in tech. I'm, we have such power. We have, and I'm going to speak this specifically to white men who follow me. This is specifically to white men. I don't want to fucking hear you don't know what to do. When Emily has created a database that shares this information. We have tools in our communities that others who are most vulnerable do not have. If you cannot leverage your privilege to create a tool that helps us keep the most vulnerable safe, then you're absolutely worthless. To, I mean, just going to be honest, you're worthless to me. I can do absolutely nothing with you because if all you think about is building another scooter fucking company, then all you're thinking about is your comfort and your needs and your whiteness and your privilege and not anybody else. We have skills in this space. There should be no one in tech who cares about these issues, not getting with fellow people who care about these issues and coming up with a tool that can be effectively used as Emily has to track something, to, to prove something, to, to provide a safe space for people who are victims to go to. Something can be done. Um, and, and that's why I say all the time that you're not doing enough. Whiteness is not doing enough. White supremacy is the parasite that's finally eaten on its host. And for the first time, you're freaking out and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to be kind and say the the non technician, I'm going to give them a pass. But anybody in tech who is a pro a project manager, who who is a programmer, who is a data scientist, who is in Q&A, who you can create something. You can, you can connect with somebody to do something that helps the most vulnerable in our communities. And so I'm tired of it. I, I, you just, you just uh, fucked it up for a lot of people, Emily, because I just don't want to hear it anymore. I'm just, I'm not going to be kind. Um, I'm just going to flat out just, you're not fucking doing enough. Get out of my face until you're doing more. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's really what it is. It, it's, you know, I get a lot of people who ask me, they, they come into my DMs or they, they send me an email and they say, you know, I, I am upset about these things and I want to do more and I don't know how to contribute. What can I do to do what you do doxing Nazis? Or what can I do? Where do I learn the skills to do this? And I tell them, you know, there's no skills that you need. You already have all the skills that you have. Just do something. It doesn't have to be high impact. It doesn't have to be perfect. Pick the thing that is close to you. Pick a thing that is in your community, whatever you define your community as, whether it is your local community, your technology community, your church, your synagogue, your recreational softball league, whatever it is, 
take a tool, take it, take a skill that you have and just do it. Don't ask for permission, just do it. And who cares if you're stepping on somebody else's toes? If you're doing it and it's good enough, you'll combine forces and it'll become even better. And if you look at First Vigil, it's not a fancy site. It's a table. It's a list of tables. That's all it is. Just data, um, you know, done up a little bit nice to be a little bit readable, but it's not, you know, I have visions for it, um, but I didn't try to perfect it. The code that it sits on top of is ugly. It's, it's frankly, professionally embarrassing um, because most of the code I wrote on a flight between Iceland and New York City. And, you know, it didn't have internet. So I just banged it together, right? You just got to bang it together. Um, so my, my call to action is whatever it is that you care about, you don't have to solve every element of the system. You don't have to attack the root cause. You don't have to attack the biggest fish in the pond, but you do have to contribute and you have to contribute in a way that is meaningful and in a way that shows that you are going to do something in your domain to make it so that marginalized people are safer and happier and more likely to prosper and that bigotry is less likely to prosper. Um, and if we are all doing that in the ways that we know best, in the communities that we know best, then you're going to be contributing in a meaningful way. And that's, that's really it. White supremacy thrives in many, many, many ways. It's not about Trump. Exactly. That's like, I was like, oh my God, can we, st it is not, he, white supremacy, he is a, a, a pimple <laughs> of white supremacy. Right. He's, the, he's, he's not the cause of this. This is centuries old in this country. And let's be honest, just globally. And um, that contributing piece is so, I, you tweeting, retweeting, um, listen to black women, you retweeting, hashtag cause of scene, you retweeting whatever does not do anything. Um, it, 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 can, it may inform somebody, but you've not done, I've already done the work. All you've done is push the button. So you haven't done anything. Um, and, and, and I need you to do so much more. And I, I love how you put that. White supremacy is so prolific that anywhere you touch, you are you are can have an impact on dismantling white supremacy anywhere. <laughs> um, I'm, I love the the calls to action about um, 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 eliminating cash bail, um, and I didn't even know anything about that. I did not know that. Um, I had no idea about the the bail system. I knew there were a lot of people hanging out in jail before before their trials. But I did not know it was be, most of it was because of the lack of ability to to to, um, to pay a bill, and sometimes it's, it's as low as twenty five dollars. What the hell? If your bill is as low as twenty five, how much damage could you be doing to the world? And why are you sitting in jail? Um, it could be as simple as hell going through the textbooks that you see um, that your children are bringing home and saying especially those historical textbooks and saying, nope, this is wrong. Let me give you, um, let's, let's do some research on what they, this really is to educate your child and your community on that. Do workshops on that. Build a website that if your child has a history book, you can build a website that counters every fucking historical racist lie that's in it. We have the tools, people. Let's stop acting like we're so helpless. We have more tools and access and privilege than the average citizen anywhere in the world. It, it's true. It's true. And you don't have to be an expert in all this or an investigative journalist to really crack something open. All you have to do is just start doing the work. 
Um, and you'll get good at it. I mean, like I'm not trained, like I didn't go to law school. Um, I, I learned a lot about law doing this project and, and, and being involved in, um, in these cases. So let's talk about that path. Yeah. How did you, so you had the idea and you did not have, you had the technical skills, but you didn't have the, the content knowledge. How, because we're going to make this into a, I'm always a, a believer in, let's show them how to do it so they can stop damn complaining that they don't know how. So you have this idea. What's the, wh- let's walk through how you got to the place of no knowledge to whatever knowledge you have now. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so one of the things that I tried to do with First Vigil is educate myself. Um, and there's, there's a, a number of ways I did that. One is, um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to use media reports as my uh, source material. I wanted to use primary source material, which meant court websites where I could go and search for the records and look up what the charges are. Because what happens is in the media they'll report, "Oh, so and so is charged with aggravated battery." Okay, well, what the fuck is aggravated battery? Well, it's depend. It is different depending on the state. So you actually have to go look at the website, um, look up the statutes. They're all online for all fifty states. Um, look up the statutes for what it means. What does attempt mean in the state of Florida versus the state of Virginia? How do felonies work? How do, you know, all those things work? So I, I went and I did that reading and I, I started to learn um, just by, you know, going through that. And I talked to lawyers, you know, there's, the internet's great. You know, I, I have lawyers of my own that I can ask questions, but I can also throw a question out to Twitter and be like, hey, some lawyer help me out. What does this mean? And you usually get a good answer. Um, the other thing I did was take a Coursera course. It's free. You can join a free course for intro to American law. And you learn the, the, the bare basics um, of many fields of law. But, you know, it, it's free and it costs you eight hours over a course of a couple of weeks to do that. So why not do that? And it doesn't have to be Coursera. It can be anything. It can be any online resource. Just go and educate yourself. Um, the other thing that I did, and this is something that I really highly recommend <clears throat> to anybody who wants to get involved in making a difference in the community. One of the things, one of the most impactful things, possibly the most meaningful thing that I have ever done in my life has been sitting outside a courthouse, um, waiting for the people inside or sitting inside a courthouse while the hearings were going on. Um, and especially if you're white and if you can get other white people there is a marked difference in the outcome of cases when there is a gallery full of white people and black people are on trial. A judge will be more lenient when there is a gallery full of white people looking on, knowing that they're there to support those people that are on trial. It is a marked, statistically relevant difference. And it is a huge thing that you can do. And I really recommend to any follower, anyone listening out there, especially if you're in tech, um, you probably have time off. Find your local uh, courthouse, your local district court, whatever it is that handles misdemeanor hearings, um, maybe felony trials. You don't have to go to a murder trial. Um, if you don't know how the court system in America works, uh, there's usually lower courts that process cases for things like you know, petty theft and, and uh, misdemeanor assaults and things like that. Sit through, spend a day, take a day off, take some of your own personal time off, go sit through that court and 
see what happens and watch what happens. Go there and wait outside of it with food, with snacks, and offer it to the people who are waiting, supporting their families. You have no idea. I've had people uh, come out. There were a group of us who were there um, supporting one of our one of our friends who got arrested um, protesting the KKK. And, you know, the community came out to show up to support her. And we waited for the entire docket to clear. And the people came out and they said, were you there for me? And we said, yeah. And, and she, she broke down in tears and said, I've never had anybody be there for me. And I swear it would have been different if you weren't there watching. And I can think of no greater way of connecting with the community than to be there for them as they're going through this horrifically unfair process, um, regardless of what your feelings are on crime or, or punishment or anything like that, go and see this process. It matters. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, Tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com feelings are on crime or punishment or anything like that go and see this process I wanna, it matters that, i want to bring something up because i remember you had you spoke about this in your your um hashtag call the scene um conference talk and i've never forgotten this and it's not going to be it's going to be a paraphrase or whatever but basically you're like you're this is this the same conversation and you just brought this up about it's marked marked difference when there are white people in the audience because this is something that particularly white liberals allies do and they don't think about and they and they cause harm to marginalized people because you said um what you noticed in charlottesville was that um although a white person could be yelling at nazis they would take that anger or that frustration out on the black protesters they would not attack the white protesters. So talk about that because I don't think people understand people think continue to think that we're 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 having the same experience and then when they kind of grasp that we're not having the same experience they really still don't know what that means they still don't understand how their whiteness still protects them in and so this was a horrific um um, situation i really and and go into as much we have time i'm taking the time because i need you to break this down for people yeah so one of the um the core organizing principles um there's a set of principles that's about 10 years old um, called the St. Paul's principles. And this was, they, these were developed um, to try to understand or to, to, to make sense of how different groups would organize at a protest where they had different objectives, different outlooks, um, but the same overarching goal of opposing. um, I think at that point it was the GOP national convention in 2008, uh, I think is what it was developed in response to. And there was this sort of belief that we knew that some groups, or not we, because I wasn't there, but they knew that um, some groups um, would be doing violence. They would be, you know, breaking shop windows, and some groups would not be. Um, and so one of the principles was to separate by time and, and, and space um, 
differences in risk. Um, so um, if you want to go out and break a shop window, um, that's a perfectly, in my opinion, reasonable thing to do to express uh, your, your distaste with, um, with power and authority because it, it, it uh, shows you know, a, a stance. And yes, it's illegal. Um, but if you're going to do that, don't do that next to the, the clergy group full of teenagers, right? Because what's going to happen is the cops are going to come and they're going to throw tear gas grenades at you and then you're going to get some 14-year-old's hand blown off. Um, and so that's a thing that we had to, you know, sort of, it was a challenging space. Like we knew in Charlottesville that, you know, I didn't organize with anyone that was coming to look to fight, but like, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, punch a Nazi wasn't a trending hashtag on, in the lead up, right? Um, and so I was supporting groups like Congregate who were going to be nonviolent. That doesn't mean that they were going to be doing things lawfully. They, they um, you know, certainly uh, followed the, the spiritual footsteps of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, who did break the law in civil disobedience. Um, but what that means is that if you're a white uh, a, a person, anti-fascist or activist or whatever, um, and you're and you engage in certain types of tactics that are likely to bring risk to you, and you can do that as a as a privileged white person, you still can't necessarily do that in a black community. You can't do that next to a group of black activists because when the cops come, they're going to arrest the black activists and not you, and when the Nazis fight back, they're going to shoot the black activists and not you. And so, you know, the incident that we had in Charlottesville. Um, was a, a Klansman, a leader of a, of a Klan chapter, actually pulled a gun and fired at somebody. He didn't fire at any of the anti-fascists that were engaged in, in street combat on Market Street. He fired at a black man who was defending an elderly white man by using a can of hairspray. And he, he lit the hairspray on fire, which is something that I did at summer camp as a 10-year-old, right? It's no more dangerous than... Um, you know, playing tricks with a candle, right? Um, this Klansman pulled a gun and fired it at him. And he, he missed, uh, thankfully. And he went to jail. He got convicted uh, of, of a crime for that. Um, but it just goes to show that, um, you know, the risk levels uh, don't splash back on you as a, as a white person the same way that they splash back on you as a person of color. And in the, the legal aftermath, um, a few anti-fascists were arrested um, post-Charlottesville. The only one that caught felony charges was a black man who was downtown panhandling because he was trying to support himself. He was diabetic and disabled and unemployed. He didn't know that there was a rally going on. What he saw was a group of neo-Confederates wearing Confederate flags, hurling racial slurs, being violent, and he hit one of them with a cane in self-defense. He was scared. Anyone in that situation would be scared. And he was charged with a serious felony. He was facing 20 years in prison as a result of it. Now, thankfully, um, due to some excellent lawyers and a understanding and, and fairly reasonable uh, degree of jurisprudence, um, those charges were knocked way down. He did not spend any time in jail. Um, and, you know, that was something that our community had to deal with for a long time. There's a lot of fear about that. Um, but 
you know, it goes to show that like your privilege doesn't, you, you have to use it, but you have to be aware, even when you're using it of how those risks, you know, if you want to take risks, um, the repercussions are not necessarily going to come back on you. The ones that do are going to be less severe. And so that's, it's part of this delicate balance of what is the right thing to do and how do we do it the right way? Um, and I think that's a, that's hard, that's hard, you know, uh, position to hold because, um, you know, sometimes we have to do things that are unsavory um, in, in, in opposition to white supremacy. Um, but we have to care about the community that we, that we're in. Um, to give another example, uh, one thing that I don't like, so maybe I'm going to lose some anti-fascist cred for this, but one thing that Thank I you. really don't like is when people fuck with the Nazis' cars. Um, and why do I don't like it? Why do I not like it when people fuck with the Nazis' cars? Um, slashing tires is, is fun and easy. Um, but you know what it does when you slash a tire of a Nazi that comes from out of town um, to a community? It means that that Nazi has to stay in the fucking community for another day because they don't have any tires to get out of town. So, like, if you're an out-of-towner and you find a Nazi's car, like, don't slash the tires because you know what that means? It means that Nazis, that fucking armed Nazis running around town that you don't live in either um, for another, you know, another 24, 48 hours or whatever. So, like, it's, it's just one of those things. But that, goes, that go, but that goes to show, again, when you don't think about the most vulnerable. And this is why this work, Exactly. This is why this work is... Because when you said that... Because I didn't know where you were going with that, but when you said slash tires, I was like, oh, yeah, that means he's going to either going to be, first of all, he's going to be pissed the fuck off, um, and he's not going to be able to leave. He's not going to be able to get around. Um, if he didn't have, if he just, you know, just got with a group of friends and they just thought this was a joyride, had no money, so now he may be, this person may be stealing, maybe doing all kinds of things. But that's because I've, as a person who's, uh, um, in a marginalized group who's, who's often targeted, I think about the most vulnerable. And this is where, when, I, when I'm educating whiteness, this is the thing that they, I, I have to get the, you to think about. Who is the most vulnerable in the, you're supposed to, your job is to protect them at all costs, period. That's it. Um, I, I remember a really recent conversation on um, Twitter where um, this person I, I love the follow. He has the best question. He, oh, he throws out the best questions. But he was saying it was something that Candace Owens said. And, and so he was like, why? And he made such a great point. He was like, why don't white people leave the Candace Owens and the Milo's to the communities they're in? So what and, 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 and so what he was saying is. So those um, silk diamonds and silk or whatever that is. See, I don't even know their fucking names. And so what he was saying is our communities have lots of those people. You don't know about them because we handle them ourselves. The black community handles them themselves. Milo, if people had just let the the LGBTQ community deal deal with him, he would have been shut down. But because... You want white liberal people want to come in and, and, and challenge them. All you're doing is amplifying the message. That's all you're doing because you don't know the historical. You don't know the cultural. You have none of the perspective that we have. Candace Owens would not be who she is today if it not or not for white people because black people don't listen to her, period. 
And this is the thing I need you. It's like it's and so he was saying, stay in your lane. And it, and it's all it's it's always so telling when you see the people who respond to something like that. It's always the people who tell he's telling not to do it because they want to argue their case about why they should do that. And I'm like, well, then why don't you? I, I would rather you. I think your energy would better be spent, best be spent talking to your uncle, your racist grandfather. That's who you need to spend that time with. Or going to your, you know, your elite school, your, your children um, are in and looking at the curriculum, challenging um, how they do things. That's where your time is best spent in your own community, challenging where, how white supremacy shows up in whiteness and let black people handle that's because, again, these individuals would not be they're not an anomaly. Everybody has some every city has somebody who's pandering to white supremacy. That is what the, every community has it, because that's how white supremacy works. There's so much internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness in every community. So if the, and so the, I found that very interesting. And that's what that's the, the thing there. If you're going to be if you're going to work. In hand with the most mar- marginalized, vulnerable people, you need to make you need to have a understanding that it is not about you. And this is where it gets off because it becomes, oh, I'm your ally. If I get one more thing, well, I'm not gonna do because I'm trying. We're on the same side. Damn it! I get to tell you if you are my, and I'm telling you, we're not on the same side. <laughs> Right. Like you might want to be, but you're not. And I think that, you know, I think that's, that's, that's true because, you know, we see that all the time. Uh, I certainly know in my community in Charlottesville who those people are. Um, and I know that my community handles them and I don't necessarily always agree with the way it gets handled, but you know, it's not my fight to fight. If they ask me to fight it, I'll fight it for them, but I trust them to handle it themselves. And you're, it's, and it's you're like right. It's like family. It's like, you just, it's like, right. Go Pass down somewhere because you're drunk. You know, it's that thing. Right. Well, it's like, you know, we got Laura Loomer, who's been banned from every platform at this point. And the only reason I keep hearing about her is because journalists keep talking about how she's talking about her. Exactly. Like, shut up about it and she'll fade away into oblivion. And that's not Steve Bannon, all of them, all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not to say that the, the solution is to ignore the problem. The solution is to confront the problem when the problem wants to arise. But that doesn't mean confronting the problem is not amplifying their message. Confronting the problem is taking it to the streets, taking it to physical space, taking it to wherever you need to take it to confront that and making it have a high cost for them to continue that. That's it. That's it. And that's where that's the problem right now. They haven't until recently they had there has been there's been no cost to them for for spewing this shit. Right. And, 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 and when you, uh, and that's why I love the videos or the, the, the backyard Beckys and whatever, and all of a sudden they lose their jobs and now they want to do this video about, um, oh, I didn't mean I, I wouldn't no, you just got caught doing some shit that you normally do. And you've paid a consequence that you did not know it was going to affect your fucking economics. That's, you know, it's, you did not understand that it was going to affect your economics. Um, and yeah, I, I so agree with that. It's like some, a lot of these things that I hear about, I would not know. And I, I'm not an ignorant person. So if it's something I want to know about, just like you just mentioned that course for Coursera and the um, St. Paul principles, just look them up. I have them on my tab. So I'm very capable of finding the information I want. What we don't need to do is, 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 is ascribed all 
messages as equal. Um, and, and, and the whole debate, let's debate. A debate has rules. So if one party does not abide by any rules, how is that a debate? Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. So we talk about, oh, why don't we, you know, debate it in the marketplace of ideas? Well, you know what marketplaces also have? Marketplaces also have rules. Yes, exactly. You know, and so if you want to debate me, tell me what your rule set is. Go get an independent judge or a panel of them, and let's let's set it up because I'm willing to and do that. And 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 then and then remove any opportunity you have to change the rules in the middle of the game when you realize that you're losing because that's what happens. That's what's happening right now. Right. <laughs> Ex- well, exactly, exactly. And and uh, you know, it's not a debate to see who can who can get the biggest dunk on Twitter or you know get the most Twitter followers. And I'm certainly guilty of, of doing this, some of this myself, but you know. Yeah, I could care less about Twitter followers at this point because I had to spend all my, I think I, it was like seven hours going through removing bots yeah. and private accounts. And, and I was like, yeah, this number means absolutely nothing. And particularly since I have 6,000 followers, over 6,000 followers, and I'd say maybe, maybe a hundred engage on, a, on, a, on, on anything on a regular basis. Everybody else is either sitting back, just watching being a warrior. Yeah. It means absolutely nothing to me. It's not, it's not um, resulting in anything in my bank account. It's not resulting anything in my impact on the community because they're not amplifying my voice, my message. They're not coming to the conferences. They're not, they're, they may listen to the podcast, but again, if you're not doing anything, you're absolutely of, of no value to me. And I think, and you're, and I'm just going to say it, you're a parasite. And if you don't like being a parasite, I don't fucking care. Um, I want to, we're going to go over in this conversation. I'm just letting everybody know because I really uh, I wanted to get, talk about um, your activism first on a, uh, not, 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 it's not distance, it's not disconnected but it's not your personal being. Cause I really wanted to create that conversation. Cause I really want to talk to you about when I have trans individuals on my show, I really want to talk about that because I, as a black woman in the United States do recognize that there's a group of people who are far more marginalized than I am. And particularly black trans women are, 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 are targets and being killed every month. And so I really like to talk about that from, because I don't have any expertise in that. I'm learning. Um, and I fuck up, you witnessed the fuck up that I, um, that I did and I corrected it. Um, well, I hope I did. I won't own that. I did what I could to, um, to, to, um, um, to prove that I mean business, that I, I recognize that I caused harm and that you don't have to trust me. Just give me, a, just give me an opportunity to build that trust back up. That's all I can ask. Um, so as a trans woman, I want to talk to you about how was that at Charlotte? Uh, Charlottesville. And then how is that just, because you said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of say I was I was taken aback when you said you were you were a target afterwards and you left the country because that's a part of the story I had never heard from you. Um, I didn't know because when we talked about you being in Berlin, it was all about you looking for a job. Um, and so I just assumed that's why you were there. So it's 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 as safe as you feel of telling this part of the story. Um, could you please share it? Because I, people need to, this is why I do this work, because people need to hear that everybody's lived experiences are not the same. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think, thank you for asking that. I think it's important. And um, yeah, I remember the, 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 the Twitter thing that you had and 
you know, I mean, I, I think that it was it was fine. You know, you learned, you engaged, and and we're not expecting anybody to be per- anybody to be perfect. Nobody can know all these issues, and they change. They change. And, um, you know, I, I'm less concerned about you know you learning and and stumbling than I am about you know the the real bigotry that's out there, which is that you know transphobia is an element of white supremacy, um, has always been historically. And okay, I want you to stop right there because I want you to explain how, because people aren't seeing this. Again, this is another, why everything is rooted in white supremacy. Can you explain what you mean by uh, trans is, is a part of white supremacy and always has been? Yes. Um, so there's, it, it goes back a long ways, um, at least back to Nazi Germany, um, where one of the first groups of people based on, on their identity, not their politics, who were targeted by the Nazis was the trans and queer community. The famous Nazi book burning um, in 1930, uh, 1933 um, was, uh, it's sort of the, the, the example that's used in the history books of how the Nazis are evil authoritarians, you know, one of the examples. Um, that was very soon after they took power. It was actually before Hitler became chancellor. And um, what happened was uh, a, a German student uh, group, the, the Deutsche Studentenschaft, um, raided the the archives of the um, Magnus Hirschfeld's uh, Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft or Institute for Sexual Research. And uh, they raided the archives and they took some 20,000 volumes. This is all research on sexuality and gender and things that are still, you know, if, if they had survived would be cutting edge knowledge today. There's, there's things that we lost that were never uh, recovered. Uh, they took them out and they gathered a crowd and, they, and a couple days later they burned them. Um, and so that was trans history. Uh, it was one of the most progressive uh, organizations studying trans culture at the time. And um, interesting enough, I, um, I am obsessed with World War II history because there's so many facets to it. And that when you just popped that, I was like, that was in a documentary. I remember that. Yep. Um, and so that, you know, uh, goes back a long ways. But um, sort of what has happened in the past couple of years is that um, as it has become somewhat safer to, to come out and to be trans and how, you know, there's the, the 2014 article, The Trans Tipping Point um, in Time Magazine, the, the cover um, that had uh, Laverne Cox on it. Um, and it, there's been more awareness and more media uh, around it and more visibility. Um, gender issues and gender identity has become, uh, to the far right, has become sort of this uh, proxy for um, what they perceive as a a culture heading towards degeneracy. Um, And these are old arguments. These have been repeated many times throughout the past. Um, But they they treat it now as sort of a um, exemplar of how liberalism is gone amok. And so trans people are targeted for that. And what we see is um, if we look at white supremacy as sort of a, a, a nexus of varying forms of bigotry. So it's not just about race. That's the thing that people don't understand. White supremacy is not about just race. It is about power. And it is about asserting um, power over individuals who do not fit to certain um, Judeo-Christian standards, mostly Christian standards, because anti-Semitism is a major part of it, as is um, Islamophobia. Um, but these, the way that white supremacy 
encourages new people to join its ranks is by targeting um, along certain axes um, and getting people into that grasp. And one of those axes that we're seeing in the modern era is transphobia, and particularly in the UK. And what's happening in the UK is a lot of uh, feminists, and many of these people, they're, they're largely white, but not universally. Uh, they're, many of them are, are gay themselves, have created um, what we call TERFs. They're trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Um, and they create this women's movement that is exclusive of trans people. They, they deny trans women um, their womanhood. They deny them uh, the rights to equal access. And they have a, an immense foothold in, in UK media. Um, several of the prominent figures in their movement have been found, funded by the Heritage Foundation, which is a, a far-right Christian organization. And so what's happening is uh, these groups of white lesbian women are being financed by white supremacist, far-right Christian uh, evangelicals. Um, and we see that in this movement, which starts with transphobia, which starts with fear-mongering of, um, oh, can't we just let boys be boys and it, shouldn't it just be okay for boys to you know explore gender without having to transition and um you know oh this is you know this movement is medicalizing children and it's causing them to sterilize themselves and we're giving surgery to children which is not true um they they bring they create these myths and then the next thing you know they're talking about well you know you know who else is bad those muslims and so they, they, they take transphobia and it becomes Islamophobia because they have a kernel of anti-woman hatred um, uh, or anti-trans hatred that they turn into um, Islamic, you know, uh, Islamophobia. And, and we see this and we also see this with ableism. We see this with the anti-vax movement where... Um, they take the, that same fear, that same sort of white supremacist fear mongering and uh, encourage hate and marginalization against autistic people. Um, and so we, we do see this over and over where these, they take a single axis of marginalization and they use it to spread that hate. And not all of them come full circle. Not all of them are going to all of a sudden become anti-black or anti-migrant um, anti or anti-Semitic but it's a worrisome um, trajectory. And they don't need to get everybody into that trajectory. They just need to get a percent because they, they know it's a funnel. They know that if they get some percentage of people in the UK to convert on transphobia, which is an easy thing for people to convert on right now, just like anti-immigration is an easy thing for people to convert on right now. They take that, they say, okay, well, 30% of you know, this demographic will, will bite on this form of hatred. And then there's a funnel. And then 70% of them will also, you know, merge to this other form of hatred. So it's very easy to get from Islamophobia to anti-immigrant sentiment. And from anti-immigrant sentiment, it's easy to get to anti-blackness. And from anti-blackness, it's easy to get to anti-nativism. And so what's, what they do is they grow these hate movements sort of one axis at a time. And so transphobia is a major axis of that. Um, and I saw that firsthand in Charlottesville when um, they had torches surrounding me and they were telling me that, you know, I wasn't a real woman. They were telling me 
um, that it was disgusting, that I, you know, uh, that I cut off my part, um, you know, what were my chromosomes, all of these things. And, and they did this as they were literally beating me. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely an axis of, of hate and it's linked to white supremacy and we know it and there's evidence and um, it's just another way that we have to be vigilant about the, the types of things that we do. And so rather than treating um, every form of marginalization as its unique thing, we have to understand power dynamics and how uh, white supremacy works. And so rather than trying to be an expert on um, you know, every form of marginalization. I don't, I can't speak for anti-blackness. I'm not black. I don't understand that experience because um, I don't live it. Um, but I can understand the experience of being queer and being trans and how that hate manifests. And so what I'm against is white supremacy. And so now it's easy for me to be a meaningful ally for black people. Yes. That's what um, Coraline, Ada Epke, we talk about because we talk about being kin because there's so much the oppression is the same. It may not, it may not have manifested the same way or came through the same, as you say, funnel, but the end result is still um, harm, violence, and oppression against my community. Right. Direct harm. Um, um, and particularly, and these are some things that I'm just uh, discovering about within the trans community because I've had several conversations with individuals since that, um, just trying to understand um, there's so many complex complexities within that that so mirror black communities. So it's the, the, the mm, for lack of a better word, the holy grail is to look, if you're a trans woman, to look as, as feminine as possible. And so in the black community, um, and it still is now the anti-blackness shows in the closer you are to whiteness, um, the, 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 the closer you are to privilege. Um, and so you have organizations that have um, historically um, been built um, because it was only, I mean, we literally had the paper bag test. If you were darker than this paper bag, you could not belong to this organization or this live in this community or, uh, um, and so it's, it's the same. It, it reminds me of when I used to tell friends, it's like, dude, you're dating the same guy. He's just a different name. It's the same damn guy. But so it's the same oppression and harm and violence. It just comes in a different package. And white supremacy yeah. has, done such a good job of, of, of making it look different that it's easy for someone to say, because I've always challenged people who are descendants of slaves who were um, homophobic. I, I was like, I don't understand how we can come from a history that was what we, we, we've come from and be not okay with everybody being the way they are. And, and to, and not only that, not only not being okay, but, but, um, encouraging homophobia. Um, and that was before I, I knew about non-binary and, 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 and transgender. This is when I was younger. I was like, I just don't understand this. Um, and so, and, and, and that's the thing is the, and this is what people in these communities, they get splintered and these are distractions, which keeps us from dealing with the real root, which is white supremacy. Right. Right. And, and there is something something to that. You said something about, um, you know, uh, as a trans woman being being feminine. I want to push back a little bit on that because please do. Um, it, it's not necessarily that's not necessarily the case for all trans women. Um, and it, it 
is not always achievable for all trans women, nor is it um, even desirable for all trans women to to sort of like be um, extremely feminine or to express themselves through through femininity. Um, and that is, there's a sort of a, a long sorted history of how feminine, femininity was used by a, a white cis man who was a, a leading researcher and we're still living with his legacy um, to exclude uh, trans people from treatment. Um, but that just goes to show that like that sort of uh, gating of, of how we deal with presentation and identity is a very white supremacist thing. Like you have to be this feminine to pass the woman test. Um, you know, I, I pass physically for the most part um, that most people address me as ma'am, things like that. But, you know, my voice is, is deeper than uh, a cis woman's. Well, hell, my voice is deep. I get um, sir all the time. Um, I've always have, even as a child, I had a deep voice. <laughs> right, which is, and, but, and that can be used to deny you access, mm-hmm. right? Privilege is about access. So it can be used to deny you access to certain things. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, one thing I want to bring up is that the, the issues of, of, of uh, black trans women, uh, specifically, and, and not just trans women of color, but black trans women in America is particularly troublesome. I ran the numbers a few weeks back or a few months back. Um, if the murder rate of white cis men was the same as black trans women, we would be looking at nine eleven scale events every eight weeks. So not just once, but all over. Not once, every eight weeks. That's how that's how much higher it is um, for Black trans women, and it is it is a challenging thing, right? Because, um, and this is how we have to be be very savvy and and better than our opponents when it comes to understanding white supremacy. Because um, many of those murders are intercommunity or yes, intra-community mm-hmm. murders, which means that um, many of the Black tra- trans women who are murdered are often murdered by Black mm-hmm. cis men, and so we we. I don't want to get into the to to the space of talking about you know black on black crime because that's a white supremacist talking point, but rather to talk about toxic that's masculinity exactly. and how exactly. that is a, it that is a, a vehicle of mm-hmm. white supremacy that is used to encourage violence um, in communities and to keep marginalized people from being able to address to even get out of their own communities to address that. So, toxic masculinity is a way that our society holds men down, in particular holds black men down. Um, and when their masculinity is challenged and to the point of violence, um, what that does is it prevents the marginalized people that they're doing violence against from being able to speak a great to a greater power. So a black trans woman has a very hard time speaking any truth to whiteness um, because their own community is it is they still have to deal with just being trans in their own community and how difficult that is yeah they're being oppressed in their own space right. and so that's that's something that i think that in particular white trans people um tend to co-opt the violence against black trans women okay Let, let's yeah. talk about that please yeah because <laughs> that's oh you are oh you're so intuitive because this is where I'm going with this because the issue the 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 fuck up I had in my head was to have a conversation about now I know now it was not about transness and I well I knew that then I knew it wasn't transness it was actually whiteness and how whiteness not just in trans communities but whiteness um, and we saw that with girl development 
having all those white women as chapter leaders, as organization leaders, as community, as the head of the organization, when whiteness, when, when whiteness is allowed to come and take up space, everybody else is harmed, period. Even your marginalization disappears because whiteness has just stumped on, you've done harm to your own cause. Right. So I want you to talk about that. Yeah, I think it's, I, you know, I think it's, um, we need to be able to talk about violence against the trans community because there is an immense amount of violence against trans people, even white trans people. Um, we need to be able to talk about that while also not co-opting the very specific type of violence that happens against black trans women and native trans women in particular. Um, because those are, we have to understand the intersectionality of it. Um, and intersectionality does, it, it gets misused so often. It does All not mean, <laughs> it does not mean whoever has the most marginal, you know, forms of marginalization. Mostly, yeah. Most, it, it's most, not most, about most, the oppression. Most on a box. Yeah. Right. It's about how, um, when you inherit multiple axes of oppression, you often have to pick which one you are going to fight because the systems, the white supremacist systems that hold us down only allow us to fight along a single axis and not along multiple axes. So the term was coined and I, I am embarrassingly forgetting her name right now. Kimberly Crenshaw. Thank you. Um, talking about uh, a legal issue in which um, she could either fight it on the basis of being a woman or she could fight it on the basis of being black, but she could not fight it on the basis of being a black woman. And so that unique experience was um, not being uh, embraced by the system, which ostensibly was there to support her. So she had to choose um, which axis she was going to fight along. And so when we're talking about trans identity, we can fight along the trans axis and fight against the system, but we don't necessarily get to say, okay, well, um, we're going to use the struggle of black trans women as a, as a bludgeon in that fight. Um, and it also doesn't mean that we can't fight our own fight in our own spaces. What it does mean is that we have to understand that black trans women don't often get to fight on just the axis of being, you know, their, their experience is not just about being trans. It's not just about being black, it's about being black and trans. And we're forcing them too often to fight only on one of those those um, axes were, were sort of um, uh, hindering them from the get-go because we know that their arguments are strongest when they are able to bring their whole selves to the table to speak their whole experiences. Um, and that's what that's about. Mm, you've, oh, that was so succinct and beautiful. Thank you. Um, mm, thank you. And, and the thing that gets me though is that whiteness, again, when I was just saying whiteness does a disservice to itself if those black trans women were allowed, were given the safe space to say, give their message, then it would have a positive impact on the, on the experiences of all trans women. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's something that we need to, we need to understand and embrace and protect and be able to speak to because our, our world is better when we have people able to do their best work and uh, to bring their best gifts forward. And I think that that's, you know, something that we're evolving on. And it's something, you know, I try not to, to stay in the, the trans activism fight too often. Because, frankly, 
one of my frustrations has been how stagnant we are. Um, we're really stagnant in the diversity uh, and social justice space in general, right? Um, you know, here it is 2019 and we're stuck at trans women are women. We're stuck at, there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. Like that's 101 level stuff. We need to be beyond that. Oh my God. This is, <laughs> oh my God. This is what pisses me off about when people say I'm an in- inclusion and diversity expert. No, I'm a business strategist, but every time I walk into a fucking business, this is the shit I have to deal with because that's the fucked up shit. That's just right. foundational stuff that we already dealt with. <laughs> Every time we have to give a metaphor about diversity being invited to the dance and inclusion being asked to dance or whatever, some bullshit like that, right? You know what that is? That's people deliberately being ignorant so that you stay at that level. Because if you and, 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 and the conversation is always about that. Right. And then because if you're kept in first gear, you're not going to win the race. So what are they going to yeah, do? Exactly. They're going to try to keep you in first gear. And so I'm done with that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm done with arguing about chromosomes. I'm done with arguing about the basic arguments because they're never going to learn them and they're never going to change mm-hmm. them. What I'm trying to do with my activism is to increase the cost of being a bigot. Mm. And I'm not going to do it by educating you. There are other people yes. that can educate you. What I'm going to do is fuck up your shit. Yes, yes. I'm going to make you feel pain. And that's what people get pissed off when I was like, the reason we're going to, um, if this president is elected again, the reason is because white people have not felt enough pain. Um, it's only until they feel enough pain where they do something and take action and get to, yeah. to, to get something done. And I, I totally agree with you. That's why I do not. I mean, my baseline when I had engaged in any conversation, this is my, this is my floor. All whiteness is racist. And I don't trust whiteness by default. Now, if you got a problem with that, then we don't have a conversation because I'm not going to argue with you on what's racist and the dictionary version versus the what the researchers are saying. I'm not going through all that because what that does is get people tired and and wear you out. And I'm not. I'm, I have a bigger. There's a bigger mission mm-hmm. for me. So we. So right. if you don't like what I have to say, then it's a demonstrated consistent behavior on the spectrum of white supremacy. Where do you lie? Are you on the active white supremacist uh, part of the spectrum or are you on the active anti-racist part of the spectrum? Because you're already racist. So I'm not even going to have the conversation. <laughs> it's like because that is where we get bogged down. That's where they I see these conversations on Twitter. And I'm like, why are you even engaging? Like we if uh, flip Trump voters, why the fuck would I care about flipping Trump voters? There are enough complicit ass white people out here that, uh, that, that, <laughs> that need to understand you need, I mean, do you see the laws that they're creating right now for voter suppression? Yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. I don't care about it. That man, the man told you he could go shoot somebody and no one was, he told you what it was. I don't know why everybody's all surprised about the Mueller report. I don't know. Every time he opens his mouth, I don't know why people are surprised. And then they want to talk about Barr and how these people around them, how could they do this? Because they're ruining their reputations. This is what white, I, I, white supremacy is not about my reputation. White supremacy is saving white supremacy at all fucking costs. Mm-hmm. That's what we, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we, we are wasting an incredible amount of energy on trying to play within the rules of a system that is designed by its rules to not allow us to do those things. Yeah. Nothing that happens now makes any sense to reason with. 
there's no conversation you and I need to have because that is where we, that's my starting point. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you're not, if you're not willing to get on that level, then fine, just get out of my way. Cause I'm on that exactly. level. Because exactly. I'm on that get level. Because I'm coming over your ass. Right. I'm coming over your ass. So I, I totally get you with that. And people are like, why do I have to be uncomfortable? The fact that you have to ask that fucking question when my community has been uncomfortable since before birth, just like everybody, uh, I keep telling these white women, this doggone um, uh, abortion shit is not about my the black and brown babies. They could care less about us because if they cared about us, black women and black children wouldn't be dying in childbirth. It's about keeping you from uh, from exercising your rights so you can populate the earth, um, populate the United States since you do literally breed yeah. white supremacy. I mean, white babies is the thing that all the white supremacists talk about. It comes about. through your womb. Oh my God, that's all they care about. That's all they care about. And you saw that again, going back to uh, oh my um, to Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Is born. Yeah. The 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 uh, SS being able to mate with as many people uh, women as they could, and then having these taking these babies and putting them in these places, I, hospitals, whatever you want to. I mean, they have they would show rolls and rolls of white babies. Mm-hmm. It was a baby making factory, and this is what this me with all these people who want to play feign ignorant it's because it's convenient for you to be ignorant because any research any this uh, what's happening right now is not new absolutely not new we've seen this before it's because you don't want to want to or i don't know what it is but watch any documentary and and it's so funny because i've been watching these things for years and my mom supported me in this because I've always been interested in the five leaders of World War. I've been interested in how World War One started, but specifically the five personalities of World uh, World War Two. So she got me the book Machiavelli, You the Prince. So because I'm like something, and and I've been fascinated by. It. So none of this is surprising to me. So it's like I see this. Mm-hmm. What we see with Fox News is the same thing with uh, with propaganda in Germany at the time. They only just had one station. So you just got to pipe in that shit 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh, it's this is not new. None of this is none of this is new. And, you know, the, the lesson that we need to learn is that we need to be firing in all cylinders. We need to be able to fight multiple fights at one time. Right. You know, we can we you know, fighting, you know, the abortion fight, for example, is an important fight to fight, but it can't be your only fight. It can't be the only thing that you do, um, and it can't be the it can't be the thing that only affects you. Right, and it would be great if that could be the case, but it's not the case because there aren't enough people, no. and so we have to be multidisciplinary. We have to understand multiple yeah. experiences. We have to give ourselves space to fuck up. We have to give people room to fuck up, and we have to just do. We have to do. We have to do. There's you just have to build something, do something, whatever it is. I mean, there's. The, the people that I take my activism inspiration from, um, who I, I, I won't name for their own safety, um, mm-hmm. but they're involved in, in a prog- project that is, um, it, it's perfectly legal, um, but it, it's the most amazing thing that, that I know. And um, they're helping you know, asylum seekers um, on their journey to uh, resettlement while they await their uh, the, the dispositions of their asylum hearings. And, um, you know, it's, it's the simplest thing because um, all it requires is you to go out with a bag of food to meet people at a bus station, um, mm-hmm. to give them supplies, resources, something to snack on, help them pass the time, know them, let them know that they're not alone. Um, doing is so important. 
and you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be an NGO leader. You don't have to be an activist. Um, uh, but you have to be willing to listen to the stories. And this is why I do hashtag cause the um, conference. If I've, if that's the one, the podcast and the conferences are, have been the thing that have been, I, I personally have learned the most from and have been impacted by hugely. Um, and I can, I could pat myself on the back because I've only done five conferences and um, the Scotland one, I did a workshop. So I say four conferences, six people each. Um, so that's what, 20? Is that, is that 20? No, five times six is what? 30. Okay, 30 people. Um, I would say 75% of those individuals were non-binary or trans. Who else can say that? Who else can say, and I'm going to pat myself, and, and, I, and, and, and going to your point, and I still fucked up, but it was okay. It was like, you know what? I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And yet I want to provide this safe space for you to tell your stories because that's how I learn. Yeah, we have, we have to be able to. Um, you know, perfection is not a goal of this. The goal is to eradicate white supremacy. The goal is to protect our <laughs> marginalized people. Like, can we get a shirt that says blah, blah, blah is not the goal. You look like this is not the, the And at the top, the goal is <laughs> eradicate, dismantle white supremacy. That's it. That's the only thing. If people thought about that, I think it would be easier. All these other things are a part of the same system. Mm-hmm. Huh, thank you, Emily, so much for taking the time. You're Is welcome. there anything you'd like to say in closing? No, I just want to thank you for doing this work and and um, keeping it up and just um, getting this out there because I think that these are important conversations to have. Um, and I hope that the people listening are, are um, inspired uh, by your work um, to, to do things, whatever it is, um, find a thing, do it. Don't be a perfectionist about it. Just do it. That's the lesson here of, of this, this episode is, is just do, um, and learn because the, these are important things that, that we need to do. And also I'm getting tired. <laughs> um, I can't keep doing it, do, doing as much as I'm doing. And I'm trying to take a step back, you know, moving to Berlin was a part of it, but, um, but, you know, I have to also focus on myself because we also deserve um, yes. a break and we deserve to be happy yes. um, because, you know, uh, self-care is, is still radical. Existence is radical. And uh, to thrive in the face of, of violence and hatred is a radical action. Um, so so do be out there. Do forgive yourself. Do do the work. And um, let's make it better. Let's make the world that we want to live in. It's really what it's about. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much, Emily. Have a great day. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtagcallthescene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.